Kula Note. The podcast. Rena, it's it's lovely to meet you. Um, and the first thing lovely I suppose <laughs> it's absolutely bucketing down outside as we meet in Inchtig. You're in for the Keeper Lit Festival, but one of the things that we've got and we played on the show is a brand new single mm-hmm. with your project uh, Breath. Mm-hmm. Is it Thank a you. very different excursion for you musically, or is it just another one of those tributaries that you seem to go on? Different, different interests, different styles of music. Um, I think. It- for me, the breath. This last album, Land of My Other, is um, is the third album, um, and probably about the fifth release we've had under Real World, under the Breath moniker. And for me, um, I've we've kept we've we've kind of nurtured the breath as a project. It was a larger band, and then we distilled it over the years down to just me and Stuart um, and for the last album we took on Thomas Bartlett to produce and he was to provide the lighting <laughs> around us uh, and a great character to do so but for me it's this kind of cathartic space. You, I've, I've heard you use that phrase and yeah. is it the, the, the lyrical um content of it because you've always struck me as somebody who's unafraid to 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 write down what's what's on your mind but it's sometimes different to speak on behalf of other people or behalf of causes or whatever when you get very close that cathartic word gets used a lot was it Mm -hmm. troublesome or was it just harrowing yeah actually okay quite harrowing i think all of my writing with the breath has been quite close to the bone and a lot of the record, you know, still wasn't, wasn't, um, wasn't ready, you know, wasn't, I wasn't ready to let it go. There's a thing that happens when you're writing about yourself, you kind of hold on to it and then I mask my lyrics and things that can be interpreted and because you want them to be universal and you want uh, the humanitarianism of what you believe to kind of speak first instead of getting so personal. Sometimes I feel like it gets indulgent if you kind of have to just hit the nail on the head all the time about who you are and what you're about. And people don't want to lecture. But at the core of me, I am a kinu. And I sing my people into the grave. And I'm way more comfortable singing songs that that nearly kill me to let go of. So why not write songs that do the same? Like, we don't have time for small talk. We're not, I'm never anywhere long enough to waste time talking about the soft, delicious rain that's currently happening in Innistig. It's that's soft. a very poetic it's, way of describing so a gentle. torrent. But, you know, but. It's, it's maybe but. a torrent to you, but yeah. from where I've just come from, I right. rainy Manchester in okay. the Peak District, I've just, yeah, I went down and just walked straight, I nearly walked straight into the river when I arrived. Right. Beautiful. Yeah. Anyway, the thing is, the breath... Like all of the songs, I just went in hard on the first album on the passing of my brother, my brother Oren. It was a massive turning point for me, losing him and losing him a 
as an immigrant and people not wanting me to come home. They wanted me they wanted me to stay away so they could so things wouldn't change, you know. There's members of the family that wanted things to get back to normal to try and survive. So then you're sitting on your own in another country grieving your family and it's and that's that's universal. Everybody has to do that. Yeah. Most people, especially Irish people, mm. sometimes they can't afford to get home at all. So that's what the first album was about. And it was about the famine. And it was about the fact that I was walking around my father's land and I knew I could never be there. I could never, I would never be buried there next to my people. So that, that but but that grief, I think it's, for me, it's very healing to speak about those things because they're not kind of, you're calling for a cup of tea uh, sort of conversations. They're like three o'clock in the morning over half a bottle of whiskey yeah. conversations and that's my wheelhouse. So the second album, then the second album was about a loss in a different way. I think it was kind of me being afraid that I was, I was getting too comfortable away from home and I was starting to, the guilt of being away from my family was starting to take over a bit. I like, I, I just felt guilty when I was around them, but I couldn't, I couldn't be who I was now in their eyes because you fall back into who you were before you left and I'd spent a long time trying to recreate that elsewhere and I think that's also something that you have to be very vague about in your writing because that happens a lot as well but this last album man I was afraid to write this last album because I lost my father as I was gaining my daughter you know Maha was coming and Tarla was leaving and my father had been, I'd been grieving him all my life really because he was in, he, he was in Long Cash. So I spent my childhood visiting him and cultivating, he did too, the most beautiful father-daughter relationship. My best friend, he was a nightmare and, and he was a giant and he was a lunatic, and he was a poet, and he was a piper, and he was a scrapper, and he was a philosopher, and he was a teacher. But he was, he was so many facets of who I am. And I couldn't articulate it. And I never will, really, because um, cause he was mischief personified. And I still go to ring him. And how do you, how do you go to represent those feelings and do them justice? And they're not just mine, you know, there's, there's six of us, siblings, all trying to learn how to live with Adam, our great oak, you know. They're, they're big, big things um, in anybody's life. And when you, as you say, you apply the filter of not being at home being away from him, that enforced being away from him when you were younger. All of those things we now know are the benefit of, I don't know what, what we call it, maybe it's just opening up and saying things out loud. Mm-hmm. Whereas in previous generations, we maybe didn't talk, we don't talk about this. We don't Especially go Especially up north. You know? In the north of Ireland, you hold back. Yeah. You don't let go of what your name is 
or where you grew up. For obvious reasons, in many cases, There's yeah. danger everywhere. Yeah. There's danger everywhere. But there's also that, that, that undercurrent, and I think it's an Irish trait that maybe you don't want to open that door. Maybe you don't want to go there because there's things we know Certainly are easier. probably yeah. there mm-hmm. that we don't want to confront. Oh, and maybe yeah. and, and maybe it's just that we've come to the situation in life where we've realised that, look, there are things we just don't understand. We can call it a handful of things, but there are things that everybody goes through and deals with in their own way. Mm-hmm. And we have our own, and I've heard people from outside Ireland saying the way you grieve is fantastic because you spend time with with the deceased and you celebrate and you tell stories and all that sort of thing it's a way of doing it it's so aggressive yeah but it it, it is it, you know it's, it's it's that kind of full-on way that yeah because pure a, drama a, a, fr- yeah. a friend um witnessed an irish wake somebody who grew up in england all his life and, and he said i really left left uh, led a very sheltered life but he mm-hmm. said there was something about it that was just gorgeous and scary because yeah. it was that the three day yeah invocation the three days and the guard is down and the drinks are in and the, the feelings are raw the stories are right and the stories come out and mm-hmm. the resolution comes now mm-hmm. after that it depends on so many different circumstances but i think it's 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 interesting that you say that 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 you hold back just that little bit not i had this happened to me or this is what happened to me it's mm-hmm. It's it's I suppose that's the, the the crossover between art and craft. The art is that you feel you must say it, and the craft is to figure out a way of saying it. So as you say, it doesn't sound like poor me, but yeah. it also says poor us when these things happen, when bad mm-hmm. things happen, and we've a tradition of lament. And you mentioned mm-hmm. Queena and Keeners and mm-hmm. all those words, but that's what it is. It's 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 mm-hmm. it's letting the feelings come out. Do you know what Turkish man said to me that when they grieve? Or they're in the grieving period. They'll um, they'll they'll they can. You can go. You can be walking down the street, and someone has stopped, and just caught in grief. So now you know, in those first, however long it takes. I know grief isn't linear, but sometimes I do feel like I'm out at sea or lost at sea, and I've been there a couple of times, and I know that that's normal too. But, um. You just lose yourself or you just suddenly are are left. And they say that if someone can stand in the street and just howl and everybody stops and acknowledges it, they don't ignore it. Some of them can join in for their own grief. But um, whenever I hear a Lalation or North African Lalators like howling for people it can be for a wedding mm. or a funeral but you'll howl the same mm. and i i do really think that that there's a commonality there that i thought was really beautiful even being away in england and seeing a hearse passing and people not stopping mm. you know it's it's a different thing. It's funny you mentioned so the, 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 the Turkish and that kind of Middle Eastern and North African kind of thing, like the call to prayer. And mm. you listen to that. And there was a brilliant program many, many years ago, a guy called Bob Quinn was trying to make a, a, a case that Celtic people, it was this the start of this unpicking this, this accepted Celtic thing that we all had. And we came from here, we came from there. And he merged um, a call to prayer in a mosque with a Shango singer. 
and just mm-hmm. merged them across each other and you're going, mm-hmm. really? Oh, definitely. Wh- which came with first? That, which, that, did it came from here or there? And what was the purpose of it? Mm-hmm. And the purpose of it was telling stories. Mm-hmm. Telling stories of, mm-hmm. of belief or telling stories of loss. Mm-hmm. On the West Coast, fishermen dying and emigration and all those mm-hmm. those losses and, and human emotions, but just expressed in song. But it's, yeah. it, I suppose... The crying's the same in any yeah, culture. Oh, no, look, it, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we, 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 we find every so often that we've more to link us and connect us than we have to separate us. I and, love listening to imams being yeah. bo- boomed out over a city at night. Amazing morning call to prayer. It's beautiful. Mm. You know, I think um, I've, I've heard Iranian women that sound like Shano singers. I've, I've sat with Nubin women from North Sudan and this the tunes that they're singing sound like hornpipes yeah it's really it's fantastic and it's amazing but, 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 but you look of at course you know you look at at, at um gospel spiritual roots and and Philip King did this 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 marvelous um production 30 years ago and they said but how do these songs come back as Irish tunes and they said well look they're all thrown in together and there's melting pot yeah. Of the United States and people and from mountains. Appalachia yeah. coming from an equivalent mountain area in <laughs> yeah. Scotland or Ireland or whatever, meeting with Africans mm-hmm. and sharing songs around a, a fire or whatever. And one borrowed mm-hmm. another and the next thing, mm-hmm. a song that started as a spiritual song or a work song mm-hmm. turned into a tune because somebody couldn't mm-hmm. sing it, but they could remember the tune and played it mm-hmm. on the fiddle. Then that took on a life mm-hmm. of its own. And then it came back and somebody else picked it up and all this sort of stuff. It's just, it's all hanging out in the air. Mm-hmm. That's just a question of, of, of how you pick it up. But to get back um, to, to the making of the album, and I read an interview that you gave and you said yourself and Stuart are kind of like the one, the one face, um, you know, or, or two sides of the one, you know, there's the, the, the band. But in terms of your personalities, the way you get on with it, was mm-hmm. it as straightforward as that or was there a period of having to figure out can we bump each other into our way of thinking or pushing back? Or, <laughs> did that take time or was it something... It seems very natural in terms of the mm-hmm. album. It seems like you just mm-hmm. understand each other. Oh, it is. Yeah. We've been together quite a long time making music. But we don't waste any time together. We record from the minute we sit down. We record everything. We record every gig that we do some some songs on the last album were were word for word note for note as was improvised live right um and I, I, you know it was there was a lot of other things um in place mm. you know um there was a whole scene going on in a late night club and there was plenty of whiskey involved and i just tapped into flow mm. and uh, i i came but if it hadn't been recorded I would have never remembered it. Right. And so I think with this album, I, I had to ask for a bit of space and we needed a bit of space and nobody wants to revisit that terrible time, that terrible, boring pandemic time. But for me, I was very happy for the world to stop and I needed that. And I was a new mother and I was just like a new person and I was out at sea. But I was stuck in a garden, and and you were stuck in that that mm-hmm. that 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 strange mm-hmm. situation, as you say, yeah. as, so as, we... as your father was passing, there was the next generation was coming through, and that kind of Rohimor and Seal, that kind of yeah. feeling that that's the way things are. One is sad, and one other, 
you know, and, 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 and the other side. And I wondered, is that where the other um, word came from in the, the, the words? Or was it, because listening to it, when I was listening to it at the start, is that, is that mother or an other? And I was going, are we having fun with, with language here? But that yeah. otherness seems to come across. There's something else going on. It's not just playing, mm -hmm. here's songs, here's lyrics, here's music. There's something else going on there. Well, you know I love a bit of critical theory. <laughs> I love a bit of Frankfurt School. I love a bit of Althusser. I love a bit of Michel Foucault. But I love the African philosophers. I love Ngugi Wathiongo. I love Chinyo Achebe. When I talked about, you know... Um, a pumpkin not being able to be uprooted. You can't take the pumpkin with you. You just move and you leave the pumpkin for the next person. Like, I, I've had a couple of deep dives. I love Deleuze and Guattari, capitalism, schizophrenia. I loved, I loved the deep dives. I kind of went a bit crazy at Derrida. See, there's all of these, like, theorists that try and get you to decolonize your mind. And you have to take language out. You have to take the language that you think in and try and find a language that you dream in. And that was the dreamscape of like real hard grief was trying to meet my father in dreamscape. Trying to, trying to communicate through there. It was harrowing at the time. We, we kind of, we kind of took a break all of my projects and the only ones that survived were the breath and honey feet and my family project for obvious reasons everything else was just so busy and messy and didn't feel authentic enough to keep on peddling what you was know? that your it, it it's really strange the way i've just in the last couple of years like we all had you know and it's not to negate the, the, the grief I had a good friend who almost died in the early stages of the pandemic but I've also met mm. people who suddenly said you know what it's not time I don't need or it's not time I don't have enough of I need because I remember I met a friend of mine and he kept saying oh well I've got this project coming up and I'm working with these people and this is going up and of course we're away now on tour and blah 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 I, mm. and he just sat back and he just said you know what all of a sudden the, the reason he hadn't done this was not because he hadn't enough time mm. And he had to really, really think, and maybe that's a burden and uh, the opportunity that artists have to go, well, I don't have to do a day's work in one sense. Mm. But otherwise, I look around and, yeah, I'm very busy. I'm running around here. I'm getting on planes. Mm. I'm getting on trains. And I've got a tour. I've got to get to Germany. And then when we finish mm. in Germany, we're off to England. And then the festival starts somewhere else. And all mm. of a sudden, you're very, very busy, but not moving. Yeah, you're in survival mode. Yeah. And you're doing things because people are telling you to do them or asking you to do them and you're pleasing everybody else but yourself. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a state or stasis where you can't actually do anything, it was really, really helpful when it came to grieving. You had to. It was this, it was this animal in the corner baying at you. You not know, going anywhere. Not going anywhere. Mm. They wasn't putting. They weren't putting it in a box. You weren't kicking it on down the road. It was that balloon being pushed underwater. It was impossible to escape from. So it, you know, during <clears throat> that lockdown period, we did um, a release of covers, 
and I was we tried recovering a couple of things that were brilliant and hilarious and a great idea but you know it just because I was trying to not write songs that looking after my future self so you know when you write that song you don't want to have to then tour those emotions for however long the touring period lasts of that album there's some of these songs that I know that I'll sing for 10 years and I, I I had to make sure that I wasn't going to have to revisit that or sing it so much that I became disattached. It was really important to do all of those feelings justice and show up for myself and my, reparent my, my, inner, my inner child and that wee girl who was waiting for her daddy and was keeping all of those letters safe under the bed, you know. It was... It, it it there was so much of my childhood that we couldn't speak about that we couldn't show that I was afraid to show that I was actually in danger you know and I didn't realize and especially in England you talk about the whole political situation and and the history of everything from a sort of a diplomat's point of view you know you want people to understand that my mother is from Manchester my grandmother's from Kilkenny her mother you know but, like, I had an English mother in Armagh in the 80s running an Irish dancing school and my father was in Lancash and things were really complicated for everybody and we were still skipping around being brought up by the town. We were we were brought up by the town. It was a and really tough time for my mother. Just, just remarkable, because yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of looking back for obvious reasons. It's twenty five years since this happened. It's twenty years since this. And oh, they love their anniversaries. We do, yeah. we do as a country, but it's it's sometimes it's a bit like picking at a scam. But I think one of the the things that 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 comes out is that, you know, was it Frank Hart said, if you want to find out how people felt about things, you look at the ballads. You look yeah. at the songs. If you want the history books, that's fine. They're written by whoever won that mm-hmm. war. But the the feeling of history's written by the victors. Though. Yeah, but that's that's the thing. But the but songs. The children never win. Yeah, no, this is the point. The children. The never children. Win. They they the families left behind. The people who left behind their families, they married the wrong person, or they couldn't marry the person they loved, and all that sort of thing. And you delve into it, and all of a sudden you realize, well, that was why, or we had, lyrical poetry which talked about the Irish nation, but gave it a name that we understood, but nobody else did. And we could mm-hmm. talk about these things that we mm-hmm. couldn't under English rule, for example. Mm-hmm. But it's still coming back to this. It has to come out somewhere, you know? Yeah. And if it doesn't come out one way, it comes out another, or it turns in, as you said, it turns in on you. And you Censorship don't, permeates as well. Yeah. There's so much self-censorship in writing because you don't want to alienate your audience as well and I was going to ask yeah. you about that because those songs are so personal and it comes up a lot you know you you meet people at a gig and they listen to a song and you go that was really whatever it is you know remarkable and you speak about it and you're going that, that's not the song I heard yeah or, you never tell them what it the was the explanation about. is different yeah. or whatever have yeah. you had people surprise you in finding things that you didn't mean or yeah, things that you thought course. you had because you said you consciously, you know, sublimated or buried or Keep masked, it vague. Yeah. kept it vague. Did, well, did, yes. did, did people come up to you and surprise you and get it, as it were? Well, I think, like, any any artwork that you do, 
once it's done and you offer it up to the world, it's not yours anymore. Oh, absolutely. It's not your story yeah. anymore. It's there for the palimpsest. It's there for people to project um, their story onto and to find their meaning from. And that's that's what it's for. Like, it, it just so happened that, you know, I couldn't, I, I didn't even mean to write about these things, but they're all there. They're all there when it wasn't until it was kind of printed out that I actually saw what what it was really about. And I'm kind of, I'm a little bit apprehensive because I've got good banter, you see, usually. And I kind of talk about the syllabus of sorrow, you know, and I talk about the the refugee story and I talk about um, <laughs> all the many facets of history um, and I love having a good rant and it's all in good humour and done with love you know I'm not I'm not there to alienate anybody um, but my word I, I am kind of a little bit um, worried about how I'm going to make a joke out of these things you know because but do, do you yeah. have to or is it, ah. are you are you battling with your your natural demeanor? Anybody yeah. who's who's ever ever interviewed you said that you laugh easily and a lot. Yeah. But at the same time, and that's why I was curious because it struck me when I when I listened to those songs, I was going, "There's great craft and great skill, but there's 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 there's, there's a darkness somewhere. That's just, it's it's mm. there, not in a very laboured way. I mean, as I say, it's not, you know, kind of your fifteen year old self with you." With your broken heart above yeah. with the guitar or whatever. Emo. Yeah. yeah. And all that sort of stuff that we Full have to go through. Full of teenage angst, yeah. Teenage <laughs> angst and, and no mates and all that sort of thing. The world is cruel. Uh, but, you know, it's it, at the same time, if you if you do take that on as, as a life's work, some of the things that you do, will you say to yourself, well, I'll never do that again or I'll never go that way. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, I've moved on from that. But there's still something residual. The fact that you're comfortable in expressing something is one thing but uh, Mm -hmm. going back to your point earlier on how do I say it in such a way that people can go oh me too oh I never thought about that or one of those Mm -hmm. things in the same way as poetry in few lines can describe Mm -hmm. like a short story or Mm -hmm. a very very big happening Mm -hmm. that kind of that that's the craft again it's Mm -hmm. to try and say am I you know and, and it seems like as you say, self censorship, but I just want to be. Some of it is is necessary, though. You know, I, you have to. I suppose, yeah. Like without, I think, you know, without being subservient or trying to please people, or when you think about like trad music, and certain songs, and folk shows being relegated to, you know, ungodly hours of the day, and what was allowed to be played on our own national radio, and still up north. The representation is so un- unjust, yeah. so unjust, and there's still so much injustice happening everywhere around us. I just want to be documented, and I just have to kind of show up for for people who haven't been documented, and I think I'm not really afraid anymore, because I would... I would have been very apprehensive about being exposed um, or burnt alive by the press over there, certainly by English press, and then actually by press in the north of Ireland. 
I was I was very apprehensive about that. It's even more scared. insidious now. I mean, with, with so cancer culture, yeah. you know, whatever about, you know, the, 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 the various mm-hmm. culture wars or whatever, it doesn't take much, mm-hmm. as you say, for one misquote that somebody puts oh, a spin yeah. and the next thing it People just bang, bang, bang. And you're, by the time you get back in your car, mm-hmm. the, the tweets are flying in all directions and they're only going in one direction, which is you and mm-hmm. pushing you down. Mm-hmm. That's that's a scary thing that that I suppose is a fairly modern phenomenon. I mean, speaking to people my my daughter's age, and go, I'd hate to be a teenager now. I really would. Yeah, it was bad enough. It's terrifying. Never mind mm-hmm. the wrong thing, the wrong clothes, the wrong this, mm-hmm. the wrong that. And all of a sudden, everybody in a group, and that could be hundreds if not thousands, mm-hmm. see one view of it, mm-hmm. or one version, or one spin, or mm-hmm. one argument. When, as we all know, life is much more awkward and Fact. black it's not black and white mm-hmm. but in terms of 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 touring the album and it's back to something you said you said you know you're you're, you're saying to yourself i'm i'm going to be touring this album for mm-hmm. a while I, and I might some as of well those songs tell the truth yeah i i was curious about that because again it's this apprehension you're saying to yourself right when you've you've finished a piece of work and it's there and you could listen back to it as many times as you want mm-hmm. and make your decision about it. But as you say as well, once you hand that over to somebody else by way of putting the album out, mm-hmm. that's a whole other kind of ownership, you know, protection. Mm-hmm. You could say, well, I know what that means. Yeah. And then you sing it and you might explain a little bit more. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. and it's and it's and it's, it's like the performance aspect of it. Mm-hmm. That if you're to do what you felt when you wrote it justice, you may have to go to a dark place. Is that that are you apprehensive about that, or do you think no? That's yeah, but I've been through all that right. in my head. Okay. So many times, I think like, I I think it's about trust as well. So, you get to an age where you're like, okay, I'm not afraid of who's there, in there, and who's driving in there I'm pointing at my head by the way I was like who's driving who's sitting at the table yeah. is it the one who's loudest are they the one that's driving or is there a quiet one in the back that just needs a bit of a push and a bit of a, a bit of a nurturing and a bit more of a microphone maybe put in front of them and that is always fun when you're songwriting you give them all a turn you know and like I don't take myself that seriously when it comes to writing music, music is fun and music has comedy and music is historical and I can sing 23 verses of a historical Irish song and I can sing the oldest Republican song that, that anyone's ever heard and I love it. And just for the challenge and the pure glory of being able to remember it. But I think for me, I just had to... I just grew tired of feeling afraid. And I think, like, for me, I am delighted that this album has birthed just because I've got a label who know everything about me now. They know what's and all, every single song's backstory. They know my inner workings. I've got a, an amazing team at Real World. Amanda Jones is a beautiful person. And Stuart, Stuart, he's from such a different background. It's taken him so long 
to realise why I work the way I do. Um, and it's taken years and years and years of apprehension and cynicism for me to trust to tell him half of when it, what went on. And then you grow up, I'm 40 now. I have, I've had really good chats with plenty of wonderful professionals mm -hmm. to kind of scoop it all out and have a look at it. It's important, you know, everything is ephemeral because it's important to spit it out and see what it looks like. I mightn't agree with it, but it's not festering away in there anymore. And that's, that for me, that's the catharsis of it. It's that I'm not carrying it. Someone else. But someone else can me. hear that though. This is this is the, the They the can part. if they, they can, want, it, but yeah. they have to be open to it. Well this is this you is know. always the challenge. Okay. That what you mean and what they hear yeah. will be will be different things you know, often. I don't um, see that as a challenge though, yeah. because it's um mm. it's not there for well, any other reason. Put, it's just art for art's sake. Yeah. You, so you, you, they can you pick have, it up or put it down. Yeah. As you say, the minute you put a piece of art, whatever that art is, in front of two people, you will not really yet. get exactly mm -hmm. the same response from mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I just I just keep coming back to a a, 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 a throwaway phrase better out than your eye you know <laughs> <laughs> but that, better out than your eye where's that come I from I can't remember but it's yeah. it's it's kind of it's a flippant thing well look mm. you know sp speak say the worst thing that can happen is that you don't say it. Now, after that, look, that, that depends on your view and who you're talking to and all that sort of thing. In the same way, you don't go out to please every single person who's going to buy your album. You can't. You just no. simply can't. But one thing that, that, that you mentioned, of course, is the real world connection. And I wanted to come back and talk about um, the process, working with somebody like Thomas Bartlett, who's, who's world famous now, not least of which for the gloaming, but equally real world records have always had this nurturing aspect to their artists it goes back to like island records that you're not just mm. a figures on a balance sheet as you say mm. the the sense i get is that they they needed to understand what you were about yeah and then say right okay we can do this but now we know what yeah we're like trying to do like a know? slower burn than most as well yeah <laughs> you know i was still still convinced that they were just more interested in how good a guitarist Stuart was. Okay. You know, I think there was, um, there's so many, you know, you grow up, I've grown up in that label now, you know, I've been, I've been there for 10 years, I think. It's really, it's really mad. So, yeah, when you go down there, there's an amazing bath there's an amazing bath, a beautiful bath that I get to sit in and look out over a bit of countryside. And there's a grumpy French chef that's grumpy with everybody else but me. Yeah. Has he met his match? No, like I, it's, <laughs> you just it's so French. You're just yeah. like, oh, this is amazing. And he just goes, oh, yeah, so shrug. French. Yeah. You know, of course it is. Yeah. Don't say stupid things. Yeah. Ah, I love it. Uh, they've got this beautiful family vibe. You know, they've got Womad in the top office and Real World Records and and the in the middle office and they've got um you know, all the around like 
the art houses they've got uh, all the different companies that make all the facets of the business go like the publishing and you know parts of yeah the studio then the monitoring is basically like a spaceship and everybody just makes it work you know, everybody's a cog. There's that that sense of it being like a co-op, that yeah. that, that nameless, faceless kind of mm-hmm. record company things that people are, you know, Grant, put you in that box and we'll do this with you, this with them and this with mm-hmm. them. This strikes me, and again, it's it's interesting to hear your comment because when you look at the roster, you look at the people like the Afro-Kel sound system, who came up with that idea? And look at those albums. They just, people were looking at it going, wow. There's mm-hmm. a collection I never caught before. Well, that came or, from a producer camp. Yeah. And they're still doing those. Right. They're still doing those producer camps. You can go and you can learn with everybody in there. And they're they're really nurturing like that. There is an open door policy. Everybody is welcome and will always be. Will always be. And like I've I've um I haven't even met Peter Gabriel yet. I've been talking to him on the phone. I've recorded on his latest album, um, but I just did that. I did one of the tracks into my phone, and he just wanted the phone recording. <laughs> I was like, "No, let me let me do it properly," and I sent him the better yeah. recording, obviously the higher quality. Before, but, but he still preferred the phone recording. Well, there you go. You know, it's uh, yeah. But it's a different. It's a different way yeah. of looking at things. I mean, as, as you say, you would have expected him to say, "Okay, we're going to have this." 1945 no microphone and all this no. stuff. But this is a guy who played with a fair light back in the 80s mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and went into Stellar. scrap heaps and I'd love to see it and, and yeah. just made it struck me yeah, as played on, played play on it. Yeah. as like he played it played yeah. it as in he he took his adult view of the world and just put it to one side and said let's see how this thing works mm-hmm. like a kid with Lego putting it together in different shapes and different mm-hmm. sets put it up and if it falls over fine you go off and you do something else and you come back to it mm-hmm. in a way that adults tend not to do and some of us go not such I'm a shame not, no that's exactly the point it's I was going to make shame, it's that yeah. playful that play element yeah. that try it yeah you Why should see you should see his writing shed yeah I his writing that. shed is amazing and he's got like um, I've been all over it I've been I, I truffle pig my way in there <laughs> For a session, <laughs> snuffle, snuffle. And uh, there's, a, there's an amazing back room full of amazing toys. And then just like some nav toys that sound amazing and some amazing, like there's a wine rack of amazing microphones. I had a binaural head in each arm, like, like a baby in each arm. Right. You know, I think... There's so many exciting new things that they're developing there at the minute with Dolby and with 360 and immersive soundscape. And there's, you're always going to have fun. It's just, it's just a bit of a four hour drive. Mm. So it's, you it's, put not, up with it's that not ideal. Mm. It's not ideal, but you go there and you've got a fresh bed. But and everybody knows each other by their first name. This is this is the point I was going to make that it it strikes me as like um, the Manor Mobile back or the Manor back in the nineteen seventies where nobody was mm. doing it like this. Um, you were going and you had your chef and you had your room and you had your this and you could come and go, mm-hmm. and there was a different environment from, you know, when the Beatles started off, there were literally people in white coats inside in the studios. Yeah, you know, because you know they were engineers. But you know when Peter you know? comes, when Peter Gabriel comes, right. When Peter comes, he's like, he's like, 
a lovely uncle for the young engineers, you know. Right. Like, there's no such thing as, like, a chef when he's around. He'll just go make everybody some baked beans and, right. and baked potatoes. You know, it's just, like, there's no pretense there. It's really homely. And I like, you know, I love that. I love that. Like, we've got, we've got, like, a community studio called WR up in Manchester that I know that my best friends have built that over the years and we I can I can call them late night or early morning or whenever last minute and go please Beth let me in will you and he'll 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 come in and look after me you know and you, you do need a community you need you need a village. But you need that understanding as well that mm. you can't clock in at nine o'clock and be creative until half eleven and go and have a cup of coffee and come back. That could be... Actually, some producers do try. I know, I've seen it happen. Yeah. But it's usually... The only time that it's worked in the experience of people I've spoken to is when they've just rehearsed the you-know-what out of it. And they just All need the to joy get out it of it, done. you mean? Yeah, well, you see, this is this is the point. This is exactly the the, yeah. the way the conversation. I'm not went. big on rehearsal. It was yeah. fantastic, and yeah. it was great, and we got this done, and it was all brilliant. And they looked mm. at it and they said, "We'd better crack in the van. We'd better crack that." Night. We did such and such a gig when you yeah. went off, or yeah. you know, yeah. Look, my first take is usually my best as well. I, I was going to ask that because yeah. I mean, you mentioned some of the some of them coming from live and improvised moments, and yeah. it's just okay. That was the one. Yeah, I know there was a better one. I'm sure if I thought about it long enough, I could do a better version. But well, what's better? You know, in like earlier recordings, like the breath itself, the name itself came from when we were perfecting our sound. We were working with Yvonne Alice, and, who's an, an amazing friend, still is, beautiful person. And we were in her studio in Rose Hill and... We were crafting our sound and being really perfectionist. And I loved getting all the trees to match. So all the sound waves, I loved. I love getting them all to match. Like, absolutely perfect. I can sing to MIDI. I, like, I love copying the trees. And um, it's just a little OCD thing. Love it. But there was some tracks that there was maybe 70 vocal lines on I was making massive massive harmonic sounds big harmonies all got tripled up and so I could keep one in the middle and two on either side and you know like I was being so indulgent and perfectionist and then when it came to like listening to it all it was a massive wall of sound but in between you could just hear the <gasps> of me like breathing in between <laughs> Such a, it sounded and ridiculous. You focused, you focused on that. Yeah, the I was just like, oh, the breaths. Yeah, yeah. we're gonna get rid of the breaths, and then was like, yeah, that's I think that's what we should call it. But the thing is, we spent so long making it perfect. Then when we recorded it, and since we've recorded it, like the imperfections is actually where I think I shine. Like I'm not. I haven't got a perfect voice. I've drank a lot of whiskey and I smoked for a long time and there was a lot of, you know, shouting and roaring and, and uh, acting the Kelly and it was great. But I think I love the character in my voice and I don't think it's just my voice. I think I've, I think my grandmother's in there on both sides. I think, like, 
some great aunts are in there listening to old tape recordings of them now. I'm like, oh, that's where it comes from. Almost, like, I would say none of them had any singing lessons or anything. It was absolutely just pure nothing. voice. Whatever and, their yeah. voice was, was yeah. built by, be, yeah. be it alcohol like, or, or tobacco. How, yeah, how, um, how spoilt am I to have a microphone? Like, I grew up having to sing over smoky pubs and quieting pubs and I just remember us throwing our heads back and roaring and then the joy or the glory of being able to quiet a pub but that's all my early all definitely all the jazz and blues circuit that I was doing was roaring over late night clubs mm. and filthy wee jazz clubs which was amazing crack but yeah, also terrible so traumatized ta- yeah. no trauma of all <laughs> zero regrets as well but um you know when you hear imperfections in your voice like that that would give some people like real you know uh panic mm. and i go good i like it it's i like I, I, yeah i think i think you spend a lot of time going, what kind of a singer am I? Like, I'm not trained in inverted commas. I'm not, I'm not completely trad either. You know, do I sing with my own accent? What do you, what do you, what's trendy now? You know, there's a lot of singers now that I come across that have went to conservatories and they spend maybe five years of their careers just trying to craft a sound that nobody else has. And I just, I think like my voice will always evolve and be more and more imperfect. And I can't wait to hear that album when I'm like in my, in my late 50s and it's sounding real. I like Shirley Collins, you know, had no voice oh, for years. Yeah. And her voice is just amazing. amazing. And it's lived in and it, you, you, you can mm. hear it and then you go back to her earlier stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just because I was sitting listening mothers, to mothers as well. Once you've had a child, your voice changes apparently too. Right. Don't ask me what that's about, but mm. like loads of people talk about it, or it's not talked about enough. Mm. But know. look, it's 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 back to what you were saying earlier mm-hmm. on. It's it's the purity of it. It's the reality of it. It's the truth of it. You yeah. know that is your voice. It's nobody else's voice. Okay, choirs are a different thing. Training can give you a way of keeping your voice, not straining it and mm-hmm. all that type of stuff. But if it's not your voice, mm-hmm. well, it's not you. You know, I know that yeah. sounds like an awfully simplistic way of doing it, mm-hmm. uh, or, or, of thinking about it. But I think particularly in, in, in the area that, that, that it, I was going to say inhabit, but you, you, you go between different things. Like your, your trad roots are obvious. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned jazz. You've mentioned that. I think the Irish word is imel. It's that, that kind of on the edge of things. Not Lovely. purely, you know. And that's where the interesting stuff happens, in, yeah. in my opinion. Well, yeah. yeah. I think I've always felt on the outside, mm-hmm. on the outskirts of things. Well, yeah. imel is actually... Sometimes it's, it's, the best, it's the, the best edge, way to see things. The edge of things. Yeah. Well, yeah. long may you stay on the edge of things and long may you sing the truth of it. It's been lovely Come meeting you. Thank you, you so much. I feel seen. Thank you for having me. Kill the podcast.